want you to listen. Then what? Share it. The Melbourne Youth and Social Workers Group and the Knowledge on Tick podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Boonarong and Wurundjeri people, their elders past and present. We would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the land, her children and our families. We would like all of us to show respect for each other, Mother Nature and the creatures on the land and the sea. Hey everyone, the Melbourne Youth and Social Work Facebook group would like to welcome you to the Knowledge on Tick podcast. We are Josh and Nat and we will be your co-hosts for the potty. Knowledge on Tick is a podcast offering real-life conversations and insights every week with workers in the field covering a range of topics surrounding the youth and social work world. We are so grateful to have you here and happy listening. Cool. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. I'm Josh. And I'm Nat. And this week we're joined by Anthony. Welcome. Hey, I'm Anthony, uh, owner of Fit and Well, which is an exercise-based counselling service in Adelaide. Um, have a history of working with young people and um, also had a, a long history of doing different level sports, particularly pole vaulting at high level and coaching pole vaulting at high level. So it's a unique experience that I've had and I hope to share with you guys today. Yeah, I'm super intrigued about the pole vaulting. Absolutely. What an art. Oh. Yeah, it's a unique app. It's it's interesting, um, but it's it's something that um, lots of people actually find they can do. Um, everyone thinks it's really challenging, but when you break it down, it's actually not too bad. Yeah, I always just like because they go so high. Mm. It's I don't know. Ah. I reckon I lose balance, <laughs> but I'm sure we'll get into it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, if people listening, uh, we're recording this on Zoom. Anthony, like he said, is in Adelaide, so Nat and I are here. Um, and we've got uh, Anthony hooked up to a very elaborate sort of recording system with a speaker going on and all sorts of stuff. So, bear uh, with us. Yeah, absolutely. Bear with us with the audio. Um, but the message, I'm sure, will be loud and clear. Um, first question, Anthony, what was your first ever job? First ever job was working at David Jones as a uh, in the electrical department. Um, I started there when I was, uh, I think, about year 10 at school. And um, it was your regular first-time job, not very interesting, um, just doing retail, working over Christmas. I think I did that for two years. Um, and it was it was a good experience, but I definitely would say I walked away from that realising I didn't want to work in retail. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the, like the ideal goal of part-time jobs, right? Figure out if you love it or you hate it. Well, learn quickly, learn quickly, and uh, didn't 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 go back there after the two years, but uh, was definitely worth that experience. And um, yeah, it was it was a good starting starting job, good place to start. Mm. Were the staff discounts at least good? <laughs> the staff discounts were good. Uh, Christmas shopping became a little bit easier during that time. Yeah. Um, but um, also just the late nights. It was just I think around the time that late night shopping or twenty four hour shopping began to come in. Um, so it was um, a lot of late nights and just uh, lots of things that I wasn't used to um, because I grew up in a home which was uh, reasonably comfortable. My family were a really, a really good family to be with. So um, um, it was definitely a change of pace for me. Yeah, absolutely. The next mm. one is if you were a WWE wrestler, what would your walkout song be? 
totally got this covered. So closet WWE fan. Perfect. Um, although, although my wife uh, would say not a closet WWE fan. She's seen some videos every single night. Um, so when I was think, uh, when I thought about this, I thought about okay, so thought about the great WWE entrances, Steve Austin, people like that, who just kind of got those huge pops. And I actually went a little bit left the field. I went with something with a big drum beat. So a Marilyn Manson, Ooh. beautiful people kind of drum beat. Because I just thought that would get a real, that kind of really big drum beat going on behind would be a really good entrance music. So, um, but yes, um, big WWE fan. Um, so that question was fun to think about. Yeah, awesome. I think um, Josh and I struggled with ours, but mm. maybe, maybe. I think I was thinking about it in a perspective of if I was in a UFC fight because yeah. I watched the UFC, not really WWE. Yeah. But I was probably thinking about it. Um, too much like you too, were, too much. To we were panicked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I was ready to one v one. It's got to be dramatic. It's got to be. It's got to be exciting. It's yeah. Gotta be, it's got to be like you know. It's, you're not getting there for a fight. You want everyone to react. So thinking about that, I was thinking about what song is gets everyone g'd up and that and that. Drumline from beautiful people really kind of sparks me up. So yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. I love it. Good one. Uh, if you had to change careers, what would you do? Well, that's an interesting one, and I reflected a lot on that. And I think based around both my experience at Fin Wellness, that's evolved. I think I would move in towards some kind of sports psychology um, through uh, through developing that, and just through personal interest. I've been doing a lot of reading. Um, by like Tim Groover and things like Legacy about the All Blacks and things like that and just um, building team culture and just how people build team culture is just um, some of the most amazing amazing um, stories and, and, and learning how these amazing sporting pe- sports people and um, coaches think and have um, passed on information has been has been really um, interesting to think about. So I think something along the line of sports psychology actually would be something I'd love to get into um, and would have loved to have done because it also fuses those two passions I have together about sport and, and helping people, which is really good. So I think that's where I would have loved to end up. And to be honest with you, may end up. Mm. I don't know. I don't know what's going to be happening, but that's something that I would probably love to have thought about doing more. Mm. It sounds like with what you're doing anyway, it is a potential option mm. for you to move that way, which is always exciting for something that you're passionate yeah, about. Yeah, 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 it is, that, that's definitely, and it's just something that, as I said, I've read a lot about. It's just, um, yeah, really amazing to read about these, yeah, amazing people and how they've come up with um, really strong uh, cultures within teams and, and different sports and how powerful they can be. Yeah, Absolutely. The next one is: Can you tell us a time about a time? Oh, can you tell us about a time? Getting tongue tied. <laughs> Let me start again. Can you tell us about a time that you've made a mistake and what you learnt from it? Oh, as a social worker working with kids, the, the, the number of mistakes I've made are, are endless. Um, I can remember um, working with kids and. Um, one of the things I value the most now before when I, that I've learned from starting as a social worker is to really, really value um, the, the, the um, young person's uh, story. And so lots of times, um, kind of when I was a you know, younger social worker, I'd walk in a bit of a puffed out chest and be like, yeah, I've got this covered. I know what's going on here. So I remember um, working with a, a, a young man who kind of said, you know, was talking about his life away from from school, and I was so um, so sure how sure um, how 
sorry, so confident about how important school was. And um, he ended up just telling me, I, I just don't care about school. And he came, taught me his perspective about why school wasn't important to him. And it was actually a really valid point because he was more interested in supporting his family and looking after the people around him than, than learning for himself. Mm. And one of the things that taught me so strongly is really value the experience of that young person and don't take don't take your knowledge and your experience and assume it's going to fit every every person that you work with. So, um, yeah, it's been something I've really lived by and it's something that I, I even, um, even in starting uh, when I started fit well and exercise-based counselling, I thought I was going to be moving towards a certain, had some assumptions that I was going to get a certain type of person in that service and, and exercise-based counselling was going to suit a certain type of person and I've got something completely different which has been an amazing experience, but it's just something to teach that I've learned is just don't assume anything in the work that you do. Mm. Um, It's been very powerful for me. Yeah, I like that. It's a really good one to keep in mind, I think, for anyone in the field. I think sometimes Mm. we we have a habit of rushing in or maybe trying to build a rapport or, Mm. you know, especially if you've got external pressures from other agencies Mm. or statutory bodies or whatever to do something, Mm. it's Mm. it's easy Mm. to forget to just you know, let things occur naturally. So it's a good yeah, piece of advice. definitely. Mm. Yeah. Ah, that's it. And the last one is <laughs> what are your self-care strategies and do you think you implement them well? Um, well, this fits hand in hand with what I do. My self-care strategies have always been fitness since the, since the day I started. Um, and it's something that I do... I used to do a little bit better. Uh, since I've become a coach, I kind of have a little bit less structure around it. But um, it's something that is has almost become a natural part of my life, which has been really, really good because it's almost for me uh, physical activity. If I don't do it at least every day or so, every couple of days, I'll feel really lethargic and flat. Mm. Um, the other self care strategy I'm trying to work on, though, and it, and we all have reasons why is why we don't is um i've been trying to uh do a bit more uh, meditation and um journaling um because i feel like um that's actually probably where i do the best my best reflecting and actually find myself calmest and feeling really calm um but as we all do something that i do struggle with and i struggle to make time for but it's almost at the point now where i actually build it into um, the workouts I do. So I actually get to the point now where I have, when I'm programming my own personal workout, I'll have 20 minutes of meditation or 20 minutes of yoga built into it because mm. that's how I have to work. Otherwise, I won't do it. Yep. So I actually have to build it into my workouts and actually acknowledge that it's an important part of the physical activity you're doing or I'm doing. Um, so I make sure I actually put it in. Um, otherwise, I will just skip over it and find a reason not to do it. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, it's something that Josh and I definitely speak about is and do you implement them well? Because I think mm-hmm. we've all, I think that's actually a really intelligent way to, to you, you're almost not tricking yourself, but you've made it a part of the broader program like it's included, mm-hmm. whereas I'm, I'm definitely just avoidant of certain things within my self-care plan, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's an intelligent way to work what, it in. Yeah. I think that's one thing that you get from... Um, kind of like I've picked up through being a high-level bolter and a uh, pole bolter and or high-level athlete and you get it hammered into you. It's, it's the little things that matter the most mm. and every single little bit um, adds to the big picture. 
So for me, um, you know, I come from this perspective that, you know, uh, if I, you know, if I focus on my physical activity and my um, meditation and journaling, I will be a good social worker. Mm. It's actually a part of the process. Yeah. Um, you know, you can be a great social worker by doing your PDs. You can do a, be a great social worker by doing, um, connecting with networking and connecting with new clients and doing and, and doing a lot of things. But one thing we get drummed into us is that idea of these tiny little things that add up. And that's one thing I think that is unique from my perspective is I take a lot of the lessons I've learned through sport and put them into social work mm. and put them into working with young people. Because I think while those careers seem um, quite far apart, they're actually really, really close, really yeah. close to each other, yeah. um, which is how I found myself where I am now. That's awesome. So how did we go? I'm super intrigued on this. So I'm going to jump on it. Okay. How did we go from working part-time at David <laughs> Jones to, to, an ex, to an extreme of being an, an athlete doing pole vault? How did that transition occur? Um, well, I was, I was a, I was always a sporty kid, um, especially through my later teens, but with pole vaulting, you either know about it or you stumble into it. And I knew about it. So my father was a pretty high level pole vaulter. He was a, um, almost made the Commonwealth games in about 80 in the early eighties and also <laughs> tried again in the late eighties. Um, and so he knew that that whole background but i wasn't pushed into it um i developed quite late athletically found myself being able to run fast found myself being able to um long jump pretty well and then uh, my father said well you can do both of those things yeah you might as well yeah you might as well become a pole vaulter um because i wasn't and this is really i wasn't fast enough to be like a, a national champion at 100 meters and i wasn't good enough to be a national champion at long jump but I was good enough to be a national champion at pole vault. So that's how we got there. Wow. Okay. That's so exciting because yeah. to me that's something that I, I'm not an athletic person in the slightest. Mm. I feel like I should preface that. But I remember doing like long jump and those sorts of things. I remember them. I remember yeah. doing them as a part of school and school sports and stuff like that. But I guess it's something the reason I find it so intriguing is because I'm not a sports-orientated person. So but even like I love sport and, and have played a lot of sports, but pole, I, pole vaulting just seems like a sport that isn't like you just don't go like pick up the pole vault and like give it a go. Like you pick up a basketball or you run in a running race. But the idea of pole vaulting is probably like the furthest away from like accessibility, I suppose. And I was actually thinking before the podcast, like leading up to this, once you explained that you would do that, you had a history in pole vaulting. It's like, how did you even get there? Like, where, how do you go from like, regular sport to pole vaulting and yeah interesting that your dad did pole vaulting and so mm. he could kind of bridge that mm. gap yeah mm. how and high it's, it's in a sport the... that sorry uh, you go. so i ju i jumped four meters 90 in my time my dad jumped five by five so i was always slightly crushed that i never got him <laughs> um so high. it is but, really high it's like a yeah, two-story building very isn't good. it four meters yeah so yeah yeah it, in, and in pole vaulting terms that's not great but that's okay um, we think but, it's amazing, yeah. Anthony. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, um, but I think um, I think it, it it it's something that you don't think about. But it's uh, it's a very unique sport, and it's a sport that breeds a sort of sort of type of person. Um, mm. Yeah, you you kind of like learn 
a lot of um, it's a very technical sport, so it teaches you a lot of focus and a lot of um, a lot of attention to detail that um, maybe other sports don't quite have at that level. You know, you have to have a high attention of detail from the beginning if you want to be a reasonably good pole vaulter. Yeah. Um, you can't just run around the track and kind of be like, I'll give this a go. You kind of really need a, a bit of focus kind of thing like that. So, um, yeah, but it, it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a really good sport and you'd be surprised how many people can do it well. Mm. Uh, me and my father have coached, um, 11 year olds. We've coached 50 year olds. Uh, we've coached a number of people and, uh, they've done it well have done it well um it's actually it's not a technical it's not a hard sport to do it's lots of movements but the movements are very simple so it's actually not as crazy as people think yeah i assume when you break it all down all the technical parts yeah yeah right yeah and it's just like everything else you don't start jumping five meters high (laughs) you start about a meter and you know you gradually get there and you see everyone who sees the olympics which are coming up every every four every four years and think oh they've been able to do that since since they were, you know, 13, it's like, no, no, no. They started jumping 50 centimetres off the ground with a tiny little pole, not not jumping five metres high. So when you break it down and see it, it's actually quite simple. Yeah. I love that you point out, though, that pole vaulters don't start just doing, like, five-metre jumps because literally what I was imagining in my head was me, like, in the Olympics <laughs> trying to, like, do because they're so high. Yeah, of course. That's, that's probably – I don't – I'm not a, like I said, I'm not a sports orientated person, but that is the one thing about the Olympics I really froth oh, yeah. watching is the pole vaulting because they make it look it's pretty cool. so mm. seamless. Yeah. Mm. Up they and do. over. Yeah. And even when they get mm. to the top and they do like the switch at the top to drop mm. down, mm. they make that look mm. seamless. Like yeah. I'd be coming in like a baby giraffe, taking out the top of it, <laughs> like in another field doing something. Doing the salmon. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad you pointed it out because that was the ridiculous thought I was having. Of course, that people one, learn. One thing I always tell people is we all look like a baby giraffe at some point. Yeah. Like when I'm teaching yeah. beginners the first time, they'll fall over in this. Like we're teaching them in the sandpit. That's where they start. And they'll fall over in the sandpit. And I say, don't worry, I was there. You know, every, um, every, every, we've, co- we've coached in Adelaide, we've had actually had a number of Olympians come through our, our squad in Adelaide and they fell over in the sand, just like the, the person doing the first week. It's actually a very universal sport when it comes to, um, even if you're athletic and gifted, it's a real level playing field because you fall over, you'll make mistakes. It's exactly the same. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really good sentiment for, you know, even clients and young people to know is, you know, yeah, There's is, a really yeah. good quote. I think it's Michael Jordan that says the quote. Um, but it, I'm not, I'm not going to try and recite it because I don't remember it. I remember a colleague had it on their desk. But I think it's a really important lesson for young people or clients that you work with to know. People don't just get there overnight. Mm-hmm. No one gets no. there. And even for me as a clinician, I'm sitting here imagining mm. doing it at the Olympic level, you know. It's something that I've even like subconsciously mm. forgot to even think about. So I think it's a really good premise to instill in our young people is that, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Yeah, absolutely. So, what did uh did your did your sporting endeavors and your social work endeavors kind of parallel, or did you finish sport and then move into the social work sort of field? No, it's a really interesting. It's actually an interesting kind of part of how this how things come along. So, um, I knew in very early on what on a, I wanted to be a social worker, and I was still doing my sport, um, and I was working and I was working away doing a few volunteer jobs, um, working in residential care, working in a few places like that. Um, but 
what happened was I actually um, did a program with uh, Marrying Youth, what used to be called Marrying Youth in Adelaide, and it was called um, Brain Snap, and it's long gone, long gone now. But that's where I first encountered the idea of acceptance and commitment therapy and mindfulness. That's where I first brushed against that. And so that was in my social work kind of world. And in my co-worlding world, I was kind of beginning to reach this plateau where fear was actually becoming a key part of what was affecting my performance. Uh, my ability to be able to be calm, um, to be in the moment, to be present and not worry about a lot of things began to affect my performance and I had to begin to explore that mental side of my sport. Um, and it was at that exact time um, that I actually, when I was learning this acceptance and commitment therapy, mindfulness, um, breathing techniques and stuff like that, I began to say, see, actually, I can do this at the track. Like what you're talking about here, about, you know, when you're having, when you're being anxious, when you're being, uh, when you're feeling overwhelmed and uh, taking deep breaths and doing mindfulness activities, looking at the things you can see, smell, hear, touch around you. Um, I'm like, that's what I need to do on the track. But mm. I need to be able to calm myself because essentially I wasn't having an anxiety attack and I wasn't anxious and I wasn't suffering from anxiety. But I was, my nerves were affecting my performance. Mm. So when I was about 18 or 19, that's when this social work world and sports world begin to meld together really, really closely. And I began to find that all these things I was learning about through jobs and through, I had learned at my uni courses and also I had learned through, um, I'd learned through um, working with some amazing practitioners. They can actually work on a sporting field. So I began to practice on myself and I began to test on myself and I began to explore um, doing mindfulness exercises during competitions, doing uh, meditations and doing um, um, breathing strategies on the runway before I would take off and, and just really beginning to explore how social work and, um, and acceptance and commitment therapy, particularly, but even cognitive behavior therapy can be included into sports. And I noticed that my performance began to improve again. I came out of that plateau. So that's when it began to cross over, but it became even more, more apparent when I began to coach. Um, because one thing that I learned through coaching is you are not in control of yourself. You're not in control of the situation. Now that's not good for me. I don't like that. Um, <laughs> but I had to, I regularly had to calm athletes, calm them down, find ways to, to, to coach them through really intense situations where they were letting big emotions get the better of them. And again, I found myself pulling, pulling out all these social work strategies and putting them on in, in on the track with these um, with these clients. So um, teaching them breathing techniques um, when they were panicking on the back of the runway before they took a bolt, saying, "Oh, tell me five things you can smell right now. Mm. Um, tell me three things that are blue." Um, you know, and really calming them down. And suddenly, I found that there's this really close connection between lots of the stuff we do um, in social work and sport. And that's where I began to explore and began to get this idea of, well, how can sport and social work actually fit together effectively? Mm. 
And so is that the inception of Fit and Well or did you, so you said you did some resi work and stuff before that, but mm. were you were you sort of in the sector working with your side hustle, getting everything sort of up and running mm. or did you just all into Fit and Well and how did that sort of? Yeah, so the, the Fit and Well thing um, kind of just came along as, uh, as a bit of a side hustle and, 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 and continues to evolve because one of the challenges we're finding, one of the challenges is, um, as far as our research knows, the idea of doing exercise-based counselling or bringing exercise into a counselling setting um, has never been done um, anywhere. Um, so there's different versions of it. There's people who, there's services who might work with physio um, therapists or exercise physiologists, mm. uh, but what we are actually doing is we are implementing counselling strategies into um, a gym-based setting. And so um, lots of it has been an evolving space where I've been still working and, and, and developing and working on and working on fit well on the side as I've developed this concept and beginning to bring it together closer and closer to get um, more and more um, because it's a, I, I feel it's a very untapped area that there's a lot of potential, mm. a lot of potential. Yeah, I agree. I think even something, as you were talking, then I was reflecting because I'm like, yeah, you're right. It's not something that is like embedded in the community or a program that's, you know, flourishing, which I think it it would flourish because I even, I've reflected upon even when I've taken young people to the gym and done just well, a like simple. the first thing, isn't it? Someone talks about mental health stuff. Yeah. And then it's like, make sure you exercise. Yeah. Like it's one of the first things that gets talked about, isn't it? Yeah. And taking it's so, care of yourself. Yeah. Sorry. I've just like light bulb went off as you and I interrupted you with my life. No, bulb, that's exactly so, where I was yeah. going. To, I meant the exact same thing. I think yeah. it's not, we, I think we talk about it. Like often we'll talk about focus on fitness and the impacts that could have on your health. I don't know whether I've ever put the ideas together in my head though. Like mm. that is such a amazing opportunity to engage particular people and particular people that probably that you know talk therapy is not for them Mm. because i think Mm. that there is a bit of a myth out there that if you want to go to therapy it's talk therapy and that's the only way you can get help and and some people don't respond to talk therapy yeah Mm. and that's such a good one yeah and that's exactly where we started thinking about this because when we when i when my wife and i my wife's also a special ed teacher and she does a fantastic job at working with students with ASD, ADHD, and learning difficulties. Mm, what a legend! Um, yeah, and one of the one of the first things we thought about when we designed the idea of Fit and Well was this idea that um, how are you going to get a a person with ADHD sitting? Get, sometimes it can be challenging to get mm. them sitting down for forty five minutes. Let's get them burning energy. Let's get them doing activities. Um, but it, it, it evolved even further from that because we took we took the basic stuff that I began to put into to the track and in my coaching there, and we thought about it from a, a gym perspective. And in a gym setting, it can find so many ways to teach things you would teach in talk therapy in another way. Mm. So the really common example I give is. Um, if I'm teaching a client to do a back squat, for example, just they're, they're, they're learning to do a light back squat, we always teach them to take a deep breath in, hold the deep breath through that movement, and then take a deep breath out. In talk therapy, that's called box breathing, but I'm going to teach box breathing through another way. I'm going to teach box breathing through um, 
deadlifting and back squatting and bench pressing. So it actually offers a really big opportunity for those people who say, listen, I'm not going to sit on the couch and get you to teach me to breathe. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, what I do is I say, well, I'm going to teach you to breathe through a completely different, different way. You'll be learning to breathe effectively, but we're doing it in a different way. Mm. Um, and it can actually be really effective because the, the clients that I work with um, will do it because they see it as a part of the exercise, but then we build that bridge between the exercise world and the real life. Mm. Well, that, you know, teaching them that that breathing technique you've just used when you're breathing through back squat is exactly the same technique as you can use if you're feeling overwhelmed or angry or anxious in the real world. So we begin to link those um, exercise practices into real life situations. And it can be really powerful seeing how that works. Mm, absolutely. And I think even for, I think it's a pretty cool way to implement things like mindful breathing or like you said, box breathing that young people wouldn't necessarily, I can't even imagine trying to get a young person to do Mm. box breathing, maybe some different breathing. But I think even the stigma around, I think there's a huge stigma for men in particular to engage in therapy. And I think even if I said something to like my partner, for example, around, okay, let's do a breathing exercise, let's do the box breathing, he'd be like, oh, I'm not really that interested. I don't want to do it. But if it was in a gym sense because he's, a gym fanatic quite similarly to you if he doesn't go every day he'll feel lethargic and whine about it is my perspective <laughs> he's gonna hate me for saying that <laughs> but if if it was in an exercise perspective he would probably do that and I think mm. that's a really great opportunity we often talk about how there is a lot of stigma for men in engaging with therapy and asking for help and mm. um, you know even men speaking up about mental health I think the the gym aspect of it because there's a bit of a boys 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 thing around gym i think mm. <laughs> you're laughing at me because i'm a boys, boys, boys. Yeah, um i forget sometimes that it's just our voices and people won't see the actions <coughs> that i'm doing um but yeah i think that's a, a really creative and cheeky way that you can good. implement mindfulness to you know blokey blokes that maybe think it's mm. a bit wanky to do mindfulness but really would benefit from having an additional mm. strategy to to support themselves really mm. Mm. And it also comes back to then like that's just one example, but I found when I when I really worked through fit and well, it's hugely dense, you know, from um, you know, teaching visualize visualization. So, you know, if you're going to, you know, do lift a move do a movement or lift a weight you haven't lifted before, the first thing we'll teach is visualization. You know, visual, visualize yourself lifting that bar, visualize mm. what it looks like, visualize <laughs> how it's going to feel, visualise all these really positive things that come from that. Um, so, again, you can teach them visualisation skills. You can teach them mindfulness from the fact that up to a bar have a thousand things in their mind and you're like, well, wait, you know, I need you to focus on one thing, just one thing, what are you going to focus on? And they'll focus on, okay, I'm going to make sure I hit, you know, I I, um, I tighten up my back before I lift. Okay, mm-hmm. cool, that's the one thing you're going to focus on. So. It just offers a lot of space to teach these little skills and these these tried and tested therapies and these tried and trusted strategies in another setting um, that, yeah, you're right, takes away from the, the traditional setting. And that's essentially what we came, why we came up with Fit and Well essentially came down to the fact, and I think you'll agree, we've got a problem here yeah. in Australia. Um, we've got a huge mental health ep- uh, epidemic happening for young people. Uh, for people in general, but particularly in my world, young people. Mm. And uh, the one thing we always said, we we are not offering exercise-based counselling as better than CBT or better than talk therapy or better than walk and talk therapy or play therapy or anything. 
we just said, listen, we, we need a change um, and we want to be a part of that journey. That's all we wanted to put forward is let's try something different. Let's put something on the table for a different group of people who maybe can't fit into tradi traditional therapy settings and let's just try and slow this down. Let's mm. just be a part of the the answers to slowing this down because, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy out there for our young people these days. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I agree with the sentiment and I think you're right. It's We're in this sort of age now where we're starting to see new and emerging types of therapies and frameworks and I've said it before, I think it's really exciting because like you said earlier, Anthony, it's not, you know, you can't just walk in and pigeonhole a young person into a box. Not all young people who are in out-of-home care use drugs, for example. Um, you know, but unfortunately, sometimes we do try to pigeonhole them with different aspects and, and with therapy in particular. For young people that, you know, like you said, DBT might not work for some people. CBT might not work for some people. But, you know, art therapy might music therapy might mm -hmm. and I think exercise mm -hmm. therapy is a bit of a double whammy because it's not only mm -hmm. is it getting you know young people that might not have even set foot in a gym mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. learn how to take care of their bodies that inherently impacts their mental health and I think it's a really mm -hmm. exciting alternative option I think it's an exciting time to be in the field with a lot of new and emerging things because inevitably it's going to have better outcomes for our young people which is what we want mm -hmm. Do you have a demographic yeah, that you do you have a demographic that you tends to access fit and well? Well, it's been it's been really interesting because um, I, I focus on 14 to 25s because that's my that's my strength. Um, I have had um, some adults reach out and that's an area I would like to eventually go into. But my strength is the 14 to 25. Um, in, in starting this, I kind of did exactly what I told you you shouldn't do which is I made some assumptions um, and I assumed we were going to get um, angry, disengaged males. That's about where I was sitting. Yeah. You know, I was going to get a lot of yeah. angry, um, angry young men um, struggling with school, looking for some, looking for some um, outlet. That's mm. not what we got. Um, <laughs> we have a really actually, we actually have a really, really strong balance between um, males and females. Um, and, and, a real diverse range of people from uh, member, members of the LGBTQ plus community. And that's been amazing um, working um, with the clients from that background. Um, and we also have um, a few um, students with a uh, few clients with um, ASD and ADHD, quite a few of them. And we do have a few of those younger men who are struggling to, to engage, but I was really worried that when you when I threw this out into the into the world and kind of like wanted to see where it was going to stick, it was really only going to stick in one place. But um, yeah, um, I'll be honest. Particularly the LGBTQ community members, that's been amazing, uh, really amazing to work with. Uh, we have um, a few um, a few young people who are. Um, uh, getting ready for uh, different surgeries um, oh. and they want to become stronger and they want to become stronger. They want to, um, I never saw Fit Well as playing that role. Yeah. I never saw that Fit Well as playing that role. But what they made their goals really clear is that I want to put on muscle. I want to, I want to look, I want to look bigger. And I'm like, okay, yeah, we can definitely do that, but it's a hundred percent not where I was expecting to be walking. Yeah. Um, you know, um, but we, we we do that and it's been an amazing experience and it's been it's improved my practice greatly um because 
um, again, having that, that um, strong, I have a strong background in working with young people, but I guess um, it has been a little bit isolated in kind of working, working in mental health, uh, a little bit, you know, male, female, um, but not really as diverse as I'm getting now. Mm. Um, so it's definitely improved me as a practitioner too, um, in learning, learning the stories, learning so much from these, from these people, learning so much from these people and then teaching me so much um, has been amazing. Mm. So if somebody, how like do you, like are you affiliated with a gym? Do you, like how do you get your referrals in or is it just word of mouth and I guess just the general? Just word of mouth, just word of mouth. Um, and um, we uh, generally um, have a have a little bit of work before we we, we, we we will meet them and work out with any kind of client. We'll want a good, strong understanding about um, their background. And it's not a, a barrier. It's more just understanding, okay, what are we going to do here and what are we trying to achieve here? Mm. Um, and even just getting an understanding about where that client has come from with regards to exactly what you said. Often one of the things we do commonly get is people who have tried talk therapy and it hasn't worked. Yeah, And that's fine. But one thing we often will quickly is, is um, has the talk therapy not worked and they're looking for an alternative or do they hate talk therapy and this is going to be a battle? Mm. And therefore we can guide our practice around a bit more of the movement-based, um, a little bit more movement-based and a little bit less therapeutic to start with and building therapy into the conversations and into the activities. Or are we in a position where um, they're really open, they just haven't found a service that worked for them yet and so we can kind of dive straight into that, into mm. that um, therapeutic stuff. But also... It's not just the therapy through exercise, and, and, and you'll know this, the most powerful experiences are those incidental conversations. Mm. The conversations between sets, the conversations between rest, in rest periods, the conversations where the client is, um, you know, dying on the floor after a cardio <laughs> workout, you know, sweating and just, and just huffing and puffing. I'm like, we're going to stretch for, we're going to do 20 minutes of stretching now, and we're just chatting away. And I know what's happening. I, I know where I'm going. But that client's just enjoying that conversation. And that's actually the other most powerful thing about it is um, you can have a lot of powerful conversations without acknowledging, yeah, we're going to sit together. Yeah. You know, we're sitting, not sitting on a couch in a therapy room. You're sitting on a bench. I'm sitting on a, on a plyo box just chatting away. Mm. And it doesn't feel therapeutic. And that's one of the number one things clients do say is it doesn't feel like therapy. Yeah. I'm like, that's okay. It shouldn't feel like therapy. Yeah, that's what we're aiming for. <laughs> and I think yeah. the... Yeah. The really smart thing that's happening here is that, and I don't know about the experience for you guys, but um, personal trainers and such sort of become like pseudo counselors yeah. for people, which is yeah. great, right? That you can find that resource, but they're not a counselor. Like a personal trainer is not a counselor, like, yeah. a, like a hairdresser, like they'll hear all your stuff, but it's like, you know, there's only so much like within that transaction that has like value in terms of people's experiences. And so in this scenario, you're kind of capitalizing on what that exchange brings naturally and has sort of always brought between personal trainers and people who are being trained, but sort of setting them up in a scenario where there's the, the permission slips there or yeah. something, you know, like, you know, it's, it's just, it's, um, yeah, it's quite funny that it hasn't happened before, you know, or like mm. this is sort of like something that you're leading with and yeah, it just it makes a lot of sense. So it's funny. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 really rewarding. It's a really rewarding in this uh, kind of field as well because um, 
you can push clients to do things they've never thought they could do before. And that's a really big bridging conversation. Um, uh, whether it be finishing um, a cardio session, you know, 12 minutes of cardio and six minutes in there, puffing, puffing, struggling to breathe, you know, but they finish it. And that in itself leads to the conversation where well, you got through that. You know, you got through that. You might be on the floor, you might be dying, but you got through that. Mm. Um, let's talk about how you can get through the challenges you're facing in the real world. If you can get through that, we can do this, you know, and if it's moving away before. And so I always think it's really rewarding whenever I hear a client say, I didn't think I could do that. That's always yeah. my little kind of golden moment is I didn't think I could do that. And I'm like, that means we're doing good things because that means we're challenging their perception of what they believe they're capable of mm. in the gym. And if that, and then we can build on that conversation and start saying, well, if um, if you're struggling to get to school, hey, you've done stuff you've never thought you could do. We can do this. You know, it was harder to do what you did in the gym. We can get to school. We can go into school today. Let's get that happening. Yeah, you can run to school actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can add you can add that <laughs> exercise into that school. There you go. Done. Yeah. It's, it's it's really it can be really powerful though seeing those uh, improvements from kids and kids who. I remember a client came to me and said, not a sporting person. Yeah. Never done sport. Not sporting. And um He's a powerlifter now, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, four four weeks later he did do he, he did a like a, I think about a, a, a forty kilo box squat, which for him, was huge. Yeah. him was huge. For him was huge. And he was like and I said, for a sporting for a person who didn't who wasn't sporting, you're doing all right. Mm. You know, you're doing okay. So it really also challenges their conception, their their perception of themselves and what they think um, sporting or strong or, mm. or, um, or athletic is because, you know, um, they can do, we can get them doing stuff in the gym that they never thought they could possibly think of doing before. So it's really mm. powerful from that perspective. Yeah, it is really powerful. And even I think like as, as you're talking, I'm like thinking of things for young people and how, like prosperous and exciting that would be, but also how easy it would be, like what you've just explained to, to you know, I'm not a sporty person, but then you d- you're doing 40 kilo box squats. Mm. Y- you've got the capacity to do that. Imagine what else you could really do if you, if you worked hard on it. And I think that's a really exciting premise that um, we should all definitely try to implement in our work because it's not, I think that's a really easy, um, I'm not saying going to the gym's easy, but I think, with the right people with yourself obviously going to the gym with me wouldn't be a good job or easy but i think it's a really unique way to to flip the narrative for young people and in a really um like a really conspicuous way like i don't think a young person would go into the gym thinking oh i'm not really a sporty person and this is therefore going to impact my engagement at school for example or my relationships at home you know teaching people to I guess, like exactly what you've said, that they can achieve things that they don't think they could in the past, but then also being able to relate the relationship that you build with a young person in the gym and the way that you build that rapport for them to be able to implement that back in the community with their networks, with their friends, with their peers, Mm. the flow on Mm. effect for that is really exciting and it's from a really sort of, I think it's cheeky, I love it, Mm. I guess is what Mm. I'm getting at, for lack of better descriptive Mm. words, but I think it's a really really intelligent way to be engaging young people. And like you said before, like the young people, I think, you know, it's there's probably less clients without ADHD that we work with as opposed to clients with ADHD. It's such a, 
um, common diagnosis for the young people that we work with. And unfortunately, you know, when we think about ADHD, we think about a kid sitting in a classroom and not mm. being able to pay attention to a PowerPoint for more than, you know, mm. five minutes. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. It just means mm. we as you know, society need to adapt the way that we teach or the way that oh, we right. provide care, whatever that might be. And how exciting for a kid who struggles to, you know, sit in a classroom for two minutes, mm. for them to be placed at a gym, to burn off the energy. Like mm. what a unique way. Yeah. That's oh. so exciting for me. I remember, to... Sorry. No, you go. I, was just, I remember do, working with a young person who was like they were 10 or 11 at the time and they were in secure welfare. In, in, in Victoria, we have like it's, it's like a locked facility, but it's welfare based. So you wouldn't go there for sort of any criminal related. It's if there's concerns from child protection anyway. So this young person was there. It's a really good way of describing it. Is it? Yeah. Oh, good. I thought we just say it. Otherwise, you That's, go. Um, anyway, a colleague had to go out and do an assessment of this young person. I can't remember if it was like drug and alcohol or medical or something. And then they, they came back to the office and I, I was like, how'd you go with old mate? And they're like, oh, didn't get anywhere. It gave me like not even two minutes of his time. Like. Couldn't answer a question. Donuts. And, yeah, absolute donuts. And I said, oh, like, you know, where were you in the place? Like, was he watching TV? Was he, like, on the couch playing table? What, what was the story? Like, oh, we're just in a room. And I was like, nah. I was like, yeah, Bill. try go back. Like, try booking again. Don't be disheartened. But take him outside and um, make a big deal of it. But tell him that you've, like, heard that he's amazing on the trampoline and get him to bounce up and down and, and do trampoline stuff. Tricks. and then ask him the questions anyway they went back mm. they went back to the to secure welfare did the thing came out how'd you go and they're like we talked for an hour mm. and i was like hey, mm. did you do it on the trampoline yeah and it was just and mm. it was the movement it was absolute adhd as well as a, a whole bag of other things mm. but it was this it was the movement it was the burn the energy obviously couldn't concentrate sitting in a room didn't want to answer the questions but to answer these questions bouncing positive reinforcement wow you're so good at bouncing like yeah. i can't believe it you're like do a flip does a flip oh my god you could you know go to the olympics or become a pole vaulter like do you know what <laughs> but I mean? it's rhythm but, right i think oh, that and the rhythm for sure rhythm is, is such yeah. a huge thing and i think um probably something that's popped into my mind because it's in the book that i'm rereading at the moment but rhythm is something that even in utero that we respond to and then when a baby's born and we're bouncing a baby yeah. we're creating a rhythm to soothe ourselves and that baby and then as we grow as adults we use different things to to make our rhythm even whether that's music or exercise or meditating whatever that might be doing something rhythmic is calming at its core irrelevant of, of what it is 100 which yeah. is exercise right Exactly, exactly. And some of the therapies we do it, we use in Fitting Well are really clear with the therapeutic goal. Mm. So I do an exercise, I've done an exercise a number of times with, with people where what I'll do is I'll get them to hold a dumbbell, a heavy dumbbell in one hand and get them to do a really simple task, uh, pick balls up off the floor and put them in a bucket and just get them to do it a thousand different ways, you know, from further away, closer away, make them walk across the room and put the balls in a bucket while holding this heavy dumbbell. And um, as we do that exercise, what we'll eventually do is we'll label the dumbbell the big emotion that mm. they're struggling with, anger, um, anxiety, um, depression, whatever it is. And that dumbbell becomes an analogy for them. You know, it, I say, I'll ask them, was it really hard picking up those balls with that dumbbell in your hand? They're like, yeah, it's really hard oh, carrying this. this everywhere with you yeah. and, and walking across the room and doing a really simple task. And I'll be like, okay. Um, and, I'll, and I'll say to them, I'll say, did I tell you you have to hold the dumbbell? 
and they'll say, yeah. And then I'll say, okay, well, you can put it down anywhere you want. And they'll put it down. And then it builds another analogy. And the analogy there is that dumbbell is still pre- present in the space. Mm. It's still physically present in that room, but they're not holding on to it anymore. And we'll do the same exercise, go pick up the balls, put them in the bucket. Was that easier? Yeah, it was a lot easier. Okay, cool. And we talk, that becomes the talking point. That becomes the therapeutic point around saying, you can carry your emotion where you want with it. You can put it down. It'll still be there. You can carry it really tightly, but sometimes it'll weigh you down. Sometimes it'll make stuff really hard. And sometimes it'll be a really challenging to do really simple things with that big emotion. And that's where we can have that therapeutic conversation around, are we going to put this emotion down? Are we going to let it control us or are we going to control it? So the therapy can be really subtle, just um, conversations, um, development, developing goals, um, building towards certain weights, you know, saying a client saying, I want to um, deadlift 50 kilos in eight weeks. Okay, cool. How are we going to do that? We actually use narrative therapy. Tell me the story about how we're going to get there. Um, we do, we do, we'll do a little graph. Okay. You know, to lift 50 kilos, I need to do this, this, and this to get there. And then we'll do alternative graphs. Well, what if that doesn't work? Well, you know, what are we going to do instead? So we'll design all these different ways of what if your plan doesn't work? So we've got alternative stuff there. So there's some uh, some subtle ways of doing that therapy, but then there's some really clear ways that we really bring it in and we really um, use the gym as a therapeutic tool um, to, to work with young people through those challenges they're facing. Um, and that takes some creativity. That's been something I've worked on for a while is thinking about how the exercises I do, how I can make them safe, first of all, but also put little twists on them to be to be that therapeutic. But it can be really, really effective because they become the exercise become that analogy. And mm. some some of the clients I work with really stick with those analogies and they begin to think, wow, like I am carrying this emotion, I'm carrying my grief really close to me. Um, can I put it down now or do I need to keep it close to me? You know, is it weighing me down? Is it impacting me? With what I'm doing um, is it impacting my day-to-day life and it becomes a really powerful tool so there's all spectrum that's what I meant when I said it's so dense there's so much spectrum of um, therapeutic benefit from just working out to actual really specific therapeutic activities we do in the gym um, using specific exercises to support um, young people with well-being challenges and mental health that's uh, that's such a cool analogy. I don't know if you heard me say. Josh it. had a light bulb moment then when you were talking. Oh, I just got like <laughs> little bit fuzzies, like when you were talking yeah. about the analogy. I especially I love like the carrying something that's heavy and the, the, the like how literal mm. that is. And yeah, I just really I love that analogy, yeah. and I can really see yeah. that that playing out and the benefit of being able to work using that. Um, I don't know, like, like that practice with somebody. Mm. Um, I just yeah. really loved it. I really liked hearing that. It's yeah. cool. I think you're right. And it's a, it's a, it's a, like a tactile mm. opportunity as well. Like I think one of the bigger, uh, like one of the things that I reflect on in work um, is the, the cup, holding the cup out with the water in it. And mm. it, oh, it's not heavy yet, yeah. but it, you hold it long enough, it's going to get fucking heavy and your arm's going to be sore. Yeah. That's an analogy that I often refer back to, but it's like a hypothetical, hy- one when you're talking about it whereas that is just like a realistic 
real life, easy to do. Like as you were talking, I'm looking around the room like there's a dumbbell over there. There's a heap of water bottles that we could use to even do that exercise with yeah. a young person. Yeah, milk cartons are good. Milk cartons are a good way of doing it. Yeah, but it, it's something that you can, it's also like malleable in the sense of majority of rooms that you're in, you could probably find, is that your dinner? Sorry, I just got distracted by that. Josh has got food in Left the corner that I just noticed. <laughs> um, but there's any room that you're really in, mm. you, you could realistically find some equipment to, to show that analogy to a young person. It can be quite... Mm. Um, easy to implement mm. as opposed to, mm. I guess, for me, trying to talk about a philosophical concept yeah. Yeah. and get, get the that across. to picture it. Yeah. The way you are guess, explaining it. Yeah. I guess that's the next challenge is, and I do converse a lot with practitioners about exercise-based counselling doesn't need to be in the gym. Mm. Um, it's ideal if it's in a gym, but it doesn't need to be. Um, I do a lot of reaction, um, reaction time gains with... Uh, with people who struggle with ADHD. And the reason I do a lot of reaction-based games is they have to focus for short periods of time, but we lengthen that period of time. Mm. Now, a reaction-based game could be something simple as having your phone on in the corner and when an alarm goes off, you both have to try and pick up a ball together, you know, just something simple like that. Um, and what you can do is you can lengthen that time, um, you know, that, that time on the phone. So you start with 10 seconds and when the alarm goes off, one of you has to try and pick up the ball as quick as possible. Then you can stretch it out to 20 seconds and you can stretch it out to 30 seconds and you can actually begin to induce different ways, like longer times of concentration where that person is focusing only on that ball and they have to grab it as soon as the um, buzzer goes off. So the thing is, exercise-based counselling, as I see it, is ideal in a gym setting, but it's extremely possible in an office setting yeah. um, with just things around you. Like we said, milk cartons. Um, buckets, balls, bins, um, anything like that. Even games like Simon Says. It's an energy-based game. Mm. Just, just getting, a, getting a client to do Simon Says. Getting a client to, who's got ADHD to focus on a game of Simon Says is hard. They can really struggle with that. And you can, te you can stretch their concentration spans by playing little games like that. And, you know, it's, it's energy, it's focusing, they're getting out, they're doing a bit of activity. Again, it doesn't feel like therapy, but you know where you're going with it. And that's how I kind of see exercise-based counselling as, as, as being, as it's not just in a gym. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think quite similarly, like for us, it's when you're on outreach and you're driving in the car mm. and you're just listening to music. Like I think some of the best engagement I've had, there's one specific example. The, the best engagement I've had with a client was after we rapped along to an Eminem song. And the client was like, whoa, I'm impressed. I didn't think you'd know all the lyrics. And then we had a really cool discussion about you know things that were going on for him but it was you know getting down on their level and I think that's what you're doing in the gym is getting on their level mm. and meeting them where they're at and I think comparatively for us driving around in the car mm. it, it you're doing mm. it in the gym do you do mm. I think something that I'm thinking about sitting here as a practitioner is um how we could implement some of the stuff that you're doing or how mm, we could get on board with what you're doing do you do consulting for people do you do um like are you on socials with um like reels or anything? i said that and i have no idea what reels are <laughs> yeah you do you love reels i don't know how to access them but i guess is there platforms that people can be accessing you on particularly i think obviously the current COVID climate but more in the sense of you know say there was someone from victoria that was really keen on um learning a bit more about the about fit and well and how they could access that not necessarily being in the same room is that something that you guys do or would look into doing Oh, 100%. And as I said, since since day one, um, 
we're very proud of our service, but the one thing we want to do is um, get, uh, we're coming from that social perspective of we want to get this out to people, not because we, we think it's better than one thing or this is the newest thing and everyone should be doing it. We just want everyone to have as many tools in their arsenal as they can. So mm. I've had a few practitioners reach out to me and say, hey, uh, I've got a, um, a client who's got, um, uh, you know, maybe some grief stuff or maybe some ADHD or some or um, some anger issues and I'll write a little one-off program for them, just a session that they can do in their office. They, you know, they might need a chair, um, some milk cans, as I said, some real basic stuff. And, I, and like I do that very minimal cost, if not free, because as I said, this is not about trying to churn a heap of turn over a heap of money what this is about is saying we've got a problem and let's start to solve it mm. so um yeah I, I i would almost work with anyone who just put put their sent me a message on facebook and said listen how how can we work together i, I would be there um whether it be eventually move, coming across and, <laughs> and talking to them um <laughs> any any how to do it because as i said um i i look at what we do at fit well as being about advancing and try to help a, a situ, um, social situation that we need to address. Um, and it's not about saying, again, it's not about saying we think this is better than anything. It's about saying there's probably talk therapy could work with 60% of the clients. And that's great. And, that, and that's fantastic. And we've got fantastic workers out there. And we've got fantastic social workers, psychologists, counsellors, so many great workers out there. But the way I look at it is if we're hitting 60%, which is great, we're not hitting 40, though. Yeah. And if we can help hit that 40, we're, we're more than happy to do that with, with anyone who wants to do it kind of thing. Mm. Um, and we don't hide ideas. We, we, we do our best to post videos. We do, we're not a kind of a kind of service who will be like, oh, you know, we're really secretive unless you, you know, pay us a crap load of money. Yeah. You know, we'll be, honest and open. we'll be honest and open with anyone who talks to us. And if they say, like, listen, um, could you come up with an idea for this? We'll say, yeah, but like, we'll, we'll think about it. Give us some time and we'll think about it. Um, being Having Lauren, my wife, on board is so fantastic because um, she can work so well with me around the student, um, the kids with ASD and ADHD. And um, and when I even started our first session with, with our students with ASD, um, they, um, Lauren outlined how I was going to do it. And she said, like, these are the challenges you've got to face, um, you know, um, you need to be really explicit with what you're saying. You need to be really clear. You know, you can't be nuanced. You need to be really, really, um, really, really clear with your expectations, literal with what you're saying. Mm. Don't play music. Sometimes that might, you know, the, the sensory overload can be really challenging. So, you know, let them guide you. And she did so much work with me about saying, um, this is how you can do that. So I'm not only are we fortunate to have something coming along, but I'm very grateful and fortunate to have um, a wife who can teach me so much about how um, people with ADHD and ASD particularly learn and how I need to build that into my sessions. I can't just drop them a normal session and say, here's what we're doing. There needs to be time frames. There needs to be, we're going to have a 10 minute rest and then we're going to do this to them. We're going to do it like 30 seconds of this. Then we're going to have a two minute rest and then we're going to do this. And it's been really good. Yeah. That's so mm. exciting. I think it'd be really exciting to work with your partner. Is it exciting? It's really exciting. Um, and also she's really good at what she does um, because she she was in a situation which has helped her. Is She was actually trained as a teacher in legal studies and history mm. um, but was placed into special ed. 
And what was amazing about that is she almost had to go back to the start mm. and learn everything from, from scratch. So now she's so knowledgeable, but because she had to start from scratch, she can really understand my questions really effectively and understand, okay, you, you may not have the knowledge of how to teach, how to teach in these circumstances. So I'll take you back to where I started and take you back to where I um, began my journey. Um, the other thing that's great too is she, she is very fit and does a lot of lifting with, with me and is in, gym, in the gym with me a lot. So we bounce off each other a lot. Well, yeah, we bounce off ideas and exercises and analogies, exercise analogies a lot. Um, so we get that opportunity to share that together. Mm. And I think that's right. Is it like that was my point in getting it is being able to share something together. And it sounds like you two complement each other quite well. You with your sports background and hers with mm. the teaching background. It it like amalgamates them perfectly. And particularly mm. for kids with yeah. ASD and ADHD, I think. You are right. Sometimes you you have to go back to basics to remember even things like the literal thinking. It has to be black and white. There can't be any grey area in there or mm. anything left up to interpretation, um, mm. which I think often is forgotten sometimes because it's, I think... Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the I think easy. I'll, I'll, I'll come into after a session and I'll be, and I'll talk to Lauren and I'll be like, just didn't work. Like something didn't work here and she'll talk me through and say okay wh what did you do what what where did we start and i said oh i i did this i did this and then um particularly a challenge challenge for me is um not asking um direct questions so i i i i i i normally ask direct questions so i'll say something like come in when you're ready or um <laughs> let's get started let's get started let's get started when when you're good to go or something like that um, and like, I'll be like, oh, I spent like five minutes just trying to, trying to get this kid going. And Laura said, what did you say? I said, oh, you know, coming, let, let's get started when you're ready. And she'll say, you didn't ask the right question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> said, let's get started was, 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 was what you should have said. You gave them an option and they didn't want to get started. So they didn't get started. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. So she, she's, she's not only really good at feeding back, but she's also really good at just giving me that guidance and saying next time phrase your question this way yeah absolutely which i think is something to easily forget and i had a little giggle then when you were talking because i've just um started watching atypical and um it's a it's a tv it's a tv show on stan um but the the son in the family is asd has asd um and so it's just it follows them around their lives and the older sister and you know what it's like sort of i guess growing up with a brother and a son who's diagnosed with ASD and one one of the his, his, his he goes to drop off like an I'm sorry present to his um, therapist it was like strawberries dipped in chocolate and his dad watches him just like break in through the window and his dad's like what is he doing and then he, he goes in and he's like what are you doing you can't like climb through people's windows and he's like Oh, well, but I know that she doesn't like people ringing the doorbell because her partner works night shift and sometimes he's sleeping. So I didn't want to knock on the door and ring the doorbell. So I thought I would just go through the window to give it to her. And so it that's why sense. I was giggling because I'm like, it makes so much sense to that person. Yeah. But everything, mm -hmm. I guess, the, the language that we use is so much up to interpretation. And I think even if I reflect on my time in working with young people diagnosed with ASD, it's something that you have to constantly oh, yeah. remind yourself off and then you it's easy to get sort of tongue twisted or lost within your own conversation trying to re mm. i guess rejig your steps 
but then that I guess that comes back to sitting and breathing and relaxing and being mm. like, okay, let's try this again. Mm. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And gyms are very good leveler because the other thing I will always do is at least once a month I'll work out with each client, as in physically with them. Yeah. Lauren will conduct the session and I'll work out with them. Um, and um, I'll end up on the floor. Just, just like I always make sure I work out with them and I always make sure I work out really hard with them. And the one reason I always say that is they need to know and they need to see that I'm willing to put myself what I ask them to do, yeah. put myself through that. Um, and it can be a really powerful experience, particularly with those um, kids with um, maybe ASD, maybe have had um, bad experiences with um, uh, services before or aren't sure what's going on or they get, they don't know where I'm standing with what I'm teaching. And so mm. I'll be like, no, 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 I'm, I'll do this with you and I'll get there. And they will suddenly buy in um, a lot more when that happens because, you know, they'll see me on the floor, um, you know, really struggling um, because although I work out, I do have weaknesses and gym is a, a really good place to highlight. It doesn't matter how strong you are. You might be terrible at cardio. Yes. Yeah. I'll work on that, you know, I, I work on that. Um, and it, it, it really gives them that boost to say, like, listen, I'm, we're in this together mm. um, and I'm learning from you in this, like those kids with ASD. We're learning together here, um, but they can bet their bottom dollar that I'm not going to just say, oh, you know, give me five minutes on the car, on the, an air dine as hard as you can and be huffing and puffing and I'm just going to sit in the corner and watch. Yeah. Um, you know, I make sure at least once a month that I actively get involved with the workouts and Lauren supports me in that. Um, Lauren's my partner and she and you know I'll end up in a real bad way but I think that's a really important experience and it's also a really like I said it's a really powerful leveler that kind of shows personal growth it doesn't matter where you're at you can get better mm. you can there's, there's areas you can get better um, so you could be the, the strongest person you could be the, um, the the most intelligent person you could be a lot of things but you could also you know there's always something you can improve at yeah, I really like two things that you've said. One, that you said, obviously, I'm going to do it with you. And I think something that I am strong about in my work and something that I've always lived by is that I will never ask a client to do something I wasn't willing to do. Um, so I think similar premise. Um, but the thing I really like about what you're saying is you getting on the floor and doing the workout and being knackered. There's actually something really special about young people seeing us in vulnerable moments. Um, and I've had it in a situation um, at an adventure park with a client, but I've also had it in a situation being at a gym doing a workout and being absolutely bloody slammed and on the floor like, I think I'm going to throw up. And my clients thought it was hilarious because they were like, ah, look at you huffing and puffing. But afterwards they all reflected it was nice to see that that was hard for you too and that you are human. Because at the, at the end, like sometimes I think that young people look at us like, we've got it all sussed right. and, and we've got our shit sorted and we're, we're functional adults. But, yeah. you know, sometimes we're just winging it too and we, we all have our own struggles and we're all human beings at the end of the day. And I think there's something really special around young people seeing us in moments of vulnerability and being, you know, exhausted from a workout or whatever that might be for them to remember that we're all just human. It's a fundamental part of fitting well and a fundamental part of being at a gym and you might have experienced this you're always going to fail. Mm. You're always going to fail. Like in pole vaulting, you you finish the competition on three fails. It's the only sport where you fail, you finish and fail. You know, it doesn't, you could have won the comp, but you always will finish on a fail. Um, it's very rare you finish um, like clearing a bar and you walk away. You'll always finish on a fail. 
Um, and the gym's the same. I say um, one thing I teach my clients very early on is you might fail over 70% of the time when you're lifting, getting close to a PB, you will fail a lot. Mm. Um, but that's just another process that we teach is this idea that you fail and then what do you do next? And so for, they, they know I fail. They see me they see me fail and struggle through workouts. They see me, um, I always make sure if I'm talking about um, any kind of lifts that I do that, you know, I fail those lifts, whether it be a deadlift or a back squat or, 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 a, or a bench press, I, I get to numbers where I have to fail. And it's actually a really big point to start discussion with them because it becomes that discussion of you're, you're going to fail. What's going to happen next? You know, do you identify your weaknesses? Do you do identify the areas that you need to get better? Do you identify what is working, what isn't working? Um, you can build this whole um, um, discussion around failure, which in the gym is actually a really important part of, of working out. Fail, failing is one of the number one things that clients will do. And if you go to a gym and you're trying to get better, you have to fail. You have to fail at some point. So it's another another area where we, we just um, that breeds a lot of really strong conversation around failure and then what do you do next? You know, do you pack up, go home, throw a hissy fit, be really down? Oh, I just didn't do it. I just didn't do it. I can't do it. Or do you go, right, I can't do that right now. What are we going to do to make sure we can do it next time? And that's where we can build a plan and we can have conversations and we write down um, strategies and we write down in the workout context what areas of the body we've got to get stronger. And mm. um, so we, when we hit that weight or when we hit that movement again in three weeks' time, we can, we can get it and we get that success. And that shows a failure, evaluation, success kind of steps through it. So um, it's just another complexity and another part um, that the gym lends itself to really naturally is that failing is you have to fail. And something you don't get in like talk therapy counseling, because you'd go, you step into that talk therapy space and kind of like pour out all the things that are going on and the counselor just sort of sits there and listens and reflects back, but never goes, mm. yeah, you know what? I, I fucked up pretty bad like that once myself. <laughs> oh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I've mm. been pretty down too. Like they, they're a closed book. Mm. So as far as you mm. can tell, you're looking at this person who's essentially perfect because I haven't told you otherwise. Mm where like you're explaining anthony going through this process with somebody um as the um trainer or counselor mm. whatever i'm not sure mm. of the title what do you call yourself a practitioner? trainer practitioner practitioner will do i yeah. kind of trade between the two yeah. <laughs> training practitioner but yeah, yeah as that i just threw practitioner out there yeah. i like that one but as the practitioner you are you are putting your vulnerabilities on like out there to that person and and um mm. you know going through that process with them but like, you know, if you go and do couples counseling, you, you'll be talking with someone like the counselor and like mm. you walk away and you'd be like, how's their relationship going? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> have you had mm. problems? Like, are you even married? Mm. Like, I want to mm. know, like, you know, like, give mm. me a little bit of something, something mm. so that I'm not like, I don't feel like, mm. like a, a whatever, mm. you know, a freak or mm. a weirdo or like mm. I've like, a, or a, you know, I don't know, whatever. It's, you're right though, because mm. it's, we don't, we don't 
it wouldn't be appropriate if our, our counsellors were like, right. my marriage failed 48 times, yeah. but here I am. But you, you want know to what hear I mean? that. But but like, yeah. yeah, people would enjoy to hear that. But at least like that's something that's playing out physically in that's the gym. Right. Like the young person might Ooh. be struggling, but they're looking over at Anthony and being like, fuck, you're struggling too. All right, yeah. let's get it done. Because it brings like the realness to it where like a yeah. lot of those sort of sessions, like talk therapy sessions are somewhat unreal. Yeah. Apart from what you're saying. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah. But I, I just like that there's the vulnerabilities and um that are that are played out in that in that the way that you're doing it. So I think that's awesome. Mm. And obligation free opportunity. Go on. Just in the sense that you it's there is no um specific set of rules of how you need to respond in that yes, situation gotcha. or yeah, there's yeah. not a specific um like what Anthony's saying, like it's, you know, come meet you where you're at yeah. and, and we grow from there. And even There's... I think something as simple as goal setting, teaching young people a mm. SMART goal, which you didn't call it a SMART goal, but you went through everything around a treatment goal mm. with the SMART mm. goal premises and how they can achieve that. And I think that's a really mm. exciting thing to teach young people around mm. having short measurable goals that you can achieve mm. and growing mm. from that. Mm. One thing I'm a big fan of and I'll, I'll suggest suggest you guys have a look at and anyone who's interested is... um. Chasing Excellence by Ben Bur Burgeon, who is a CrossFit coach. Hmm. Uh, he's done a podcast. He does a podcast, and he talks about whoopee goals. Um, and that's actually one of the best um, goal-setting strategies I've ever heard, and it's one that I regularly use um, because um, the reason we talk about whoopee goals is a key part of it is visualising how it's going to feel when you achieve that goal. So do you mean it's like not just about no, it's just, it, yeah yeah do you mean like whoopee yeah yeah whoopee yeah whoopee w-h-o-o-p-i yeah yeah, yeah. Um, because it's a goal that you're going to set that's going to make you have that reaction is that where you're going with it no 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 no, no, no. Exactly. it's got it's got it's got um each letter's got a got a got a, a meaning to it kind of thing like that oh. but um hang yeah, on a second she's sorry sorry, sorry, sorry she's sorry. losing it you're just gonna have to wait a second <laughs> Whoopee. <laughs> no, I'm okay, sorry, I'm Anthony. Sorry, oh. sorry, like I said, sorry, sorry to crush the dreams. Um, oh. No, but it, it, it's such a powerful, when I first heard it, it's such a powerful um, way of thinking about goals because it not only makes you think about um, is, it, is it, you know, a, a smart goal, is it attainable, is it measurable, is it all that stuff, is it making but it has a lot of emotion behind it. It has a lot about how are you going to feel when you achieve this goal, and that's actually one of the key parts of it, and that's what drives you forward, is actually you physically visualising, laying there and visualising there, you know, when you um, finish school and walk across and get your um, graduating certificate, how do you visualise that? How does it feel? And that's that driving force behind when you're really struggling and when you're really down and when you really just can't do it, you go back to that visualisation. How's that feel? Um, so could you explain actually, it, the breakdown of the letters? Um, Not to put you on oh, the spot, sorry. sorry. But I'll try and remember it. Uh, so WH -W is um, wishing and hoping. So that's the, that's the what. You know, what are we going to try and do? Like, so you're wishing and hoping. What are you, what are you wishing and hoping for? Um, uh, then you go into the first O, which is the outcome, which is, I think, all about how it's going to make you feel. Like, you, you, that's what you do, that visualisation, how it's going to make you feel. Mm. Um, how, how are you going to, to um, how are you going to, like, what's that going to look like? 
Then you go into obstacles. Um, so what are the obstacles to achieving that go these goals? And believe me, I'm butchering this, but no, 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 people so can do their own well. research. Then you, Thank you. Then you talk about <laughs> the obstacles. Um, so what are the obstacles to achieving that goal? And that's not just um, when when he talks about it. He's not just talking about oh, do you have um, the money or do you do you have the time? One of the key aspects he talks about is this phrase. Um, I'm the kind of person that, then you finish that sentence. Mm. So when you think about those obstacles, you kind of have that sentence. So if you say, okay, I want to um, read a book every single week. I want to finish a book every single week. Let's say that's your goal. Um, and then your obstacles are, your obstacles are, listen, I just don't have the time. I just don't, I just don't have the, the inclination to sit down and do it. Um, I, I always find myself procrastinating. Um, he really makes you ask that question, and I would ask you this question, like, I'm the kind of person that, I'm the kind of person that will make time for that, mm. you know, and if you're not that kind of person, don't set that goal, don't put that on the table, change it to say, I'm the, I, be the per say I'm going to change that goal to, I'm going to read a book every four weeks, mm. be realistic with that goal, and if you're not a person who don't set that goal and be like, oh, I'm going to read a, read every single night for 20 minutes if that's not attainable. If you're not that kind of person, that's okay. Don't set that goal. Shift it a bit. Um, then the P is the process. And also, how are you going to do that? So that's where you actually, that's where the SMART goal comes in. That's where you really nut it out. Um, and uh, so we've done the process. And then the I, I can't remember the I means, to be honest with you, but strongly recommend yeah, yeah. Um, have a look at it. And um, again, his his book and his podcast. So many things that he talks about is just so relevant to counselling and social work and working with young people, working in our sector, because um, you know exactly why Fitwell is what it is. You encounter obstacles. You encounter failure. It's about improving yourself not about beating everyone else. He talks a lot about that. It's one of the most influential books I've read in my time um, and a good story too, just a great story. Um, he tells it really well. So audio book, it's, it's an audio book, it's an e-book, it's a hard copy and he does that podcast, which is, which is I think it's called Whoopi Goals is where he actually talks about it. Yeah, I amazing. love it. That's really cool. Um, so where does it all end up, fit and well? Where do you see this, where do you see this going? What's the, what's the, what's your goal what's not... your whoopee <laughs> what's my whoopee um my my goal is just to um to as as simplistic as it sounds is just to um reach as many people as i can and to get to get the idea of um how we can include um exercise into and, and get exercise based counseling into into a bit of a, a good space where people feel confident using it mm. um you know um you know obviously one day i would love to to be able to do the, the all the amazing stuff you know write books and all that jazz um but um i i really focus my sole focus is as i start as i said at the start is is actually just about being an alternative being another place where where young people can come um, offering them another way of, of exploring their mental health, exploring challenges they're facing to their well-being, um, and just getting into uh, being a contributor to solving that uh, ep epidemic. 
that we're facing with with young people and mental health because that's legitimately the only reason we started. Well, one of the only reasons we mm. started was, um, as I said, things need to change, and we just see ourselves as a part of that process. So there's all all the whoopee goals that you said. There's all the hopes and dreams, but um, the the thing that would make me the most happy as a as a practitioner and as a person would be to say we've contributed to to, to slowing slowing things down a little bit, and whether that be through teaching, training, um, supporting other people doing it through um, working one-on-one -on -one with clients, um, even even talking to sporting clubs. That's another area we thought about going out to sporting clubs and having conversations with them and actually saying, um, how do you support mental health? How can you support mental health in your, in your sporting club with really simple little things, not just stuff through, like the exercise-based counselling, but even just really simple little things around, um, um, you know, how you can have good conversations with your players and with your families, how you can make sure you have um, services or information about services if anyone's struggling at your club, just really getting into that space and kind of saying um, using sport, um, exercise as a, as a real key factor in mental health. Mm. And I think sports clubs are, would be a big one, right? No, for sure. Mm. Well, we, we can see this because it's, it's, it's alarming and sad the number of elite athletes who unfortunately might struggle with their mental health post post career yeah. but i think there's probably a really really large number who we don't know about who um just struggle to function post mm. post when their sport leaves their life mm. um and that's that's something that worries me um luckily i transitioned out quite well my and my coaching feels that and i've, and I've managed to balance that but um it's something I do see a lot in in like newspapers, whether it be um, sports people with drug and alcohol addictions or, or who are struggling with their mental health or who struggle to function. I think um, that's a bigger conversation um, to actually be having with our sports clubs, both at the grassroots and the elite level is actually saying like, you know, how are we helping these people beyond the Olympics? Because you might have a gold medal, that's great. If you don't have your mental health, it's not going to, last. It's not going to be very important for long. Mm. 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 Absolutely. Um, this has been such a cool chat. I really, really enjoy mm. this. It's been, it's been awesome, and you seem like a, a legend. So, and like, congratulations, I reckon, on like pioneering it's a amazing. new sort of pathway for yeah. people. So, it's mm. really exciting. Yeah, I think. yeah, it's been great talking to you guys, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to share. No, of course. I think you might be a little bit busy once this one's sort of out and Hopefully. amongst the Facebook group. I think you might find mm. a lot of people, because even for myself as someone who's been in the field for, you know, <clears throat> almost over 10 years now, like I, it's not keeping the exercise in collaboration with therapy isn't something, I've taken kids to the gym, but I've never sort of thought of the collaboration the in the tool. two. And I think, you know, you said, I think you said, building a person's arsenal and I like to call it, you know, young people's invisible tool belt. And we like to fill that mm. to the best of our capacity, you know, so they can mm. make the best decisions when they're out there in the big bad world. And I think that what you're doing is game changing. And I think mm. it's really exciting for a lot of people. I think you guys will mm. be very busy. Where can people That's find cool. you? Yeah. If people want to find um, you. So we currently just mainly the best place to touch base with us is through our Facebook. Um, but like I said, we're happy to Zoom talk, we're happy to do anything, but that would be the starting point. Um, and like I said, we'll talk to anyone almost about anything, you know, where we're not we're not exclusive. And like I said, we're not, we're not going to hide. We're not going to be a, a service who kind of says, oh, you know, um, we're going to hide these little secret things. 
we'll be honest and open and, and give you every single thing that we're doing in our world too. Um, because like I said, it's, it's not about, um, not, not about starting something crazy. It's about supporting our community as much as we can. Yeah, absolutely. We like to finish off every potty with a, with a, um, surprise question (laughs) and (laughs) I haven't asked it in a while. So hopefully I don't stuff this up, but if you, um, do you have any final words of wisdom for people out there that are potentially about to join the field, maybe people that are already in the field feeling a bit lethargic and maybe COVID fatigued, who knows, at this stage? Do you have any words of wisdom for the practitioners out there that are working with the young people we've been speaking about today? Um, in, enjoy their stories. And I know that sounds really weird, but I'll elaborate. One thing I think as a practitioner, you get into that headspace of listening to problems and you, and you lose the story and you lose the, the, the amazing, um, learning points that you can take as a person, not as a practitioner from their stories. Mm. And I think about, um, my work and I think about my experiences and it's when I've actually immersed myself in this in a client's story that actually i've gained the most and i've walked out of there thinking you know i've i've been privileged to to be a part of that story so not thinking of it as not only not only thinking of it as a problem and a solution and, and trying to say what are we going to do to to kind of like help you with this challenge sometimes it's also just about um being ignorant which i think is amazing i think ignorance is actually not it's something that's being extremely underrated and let yourself be ignorant and just enjoy the story that people are telling you because um, sometimes you can learn as much from them, even though they might be 10, you know, five, five, 10 years younger than you, you can learn more as much from them as they can from you. So if you look at that from that journey perspective, sometimes it can be so rewarding that you're like, wow, I'm been privileged to sit in that situation and I'm gaining from this as much as they're gaining from this. So that's one thing I strongly recommend is immerse yourself safely but immerse yourself in the stories of your clients because you can learn a lot too awesome Mm, well said that's great yeah Mm. it is thanks so much for giving us your time tonight we appreciate it not a problem stay in touch if you need anything yeah we will for sure thanks for listening to another episode of knowledge on tick please like and share the podcast invite your friends and colleagues into the group and get in touch if there are any guest speakers you'd like to hear from or any topics you'd like covered take care and enjoy your week